Hey, welcome to another exciting podcast from Freedom House Church. My name is Troy Maxwell. I'm the senior pastor of our church. We are one church that meets in multiple locations, which means we have different communicators at all of our different locations. Today, you'll be hearing an exciting message from one of our teaching teams. I know that it will bless you. You will walk away changed, so enjoy this message. What's up, Freedom House? Lights, there we go. Clap, and they'll come right on. Come on, let's give Jesus a big hand clap. Very good. You can do better than that. Come on. Good to be in church tonight. Come on, good to be in church today. No better place to be than in church. Three things I want to talk about before I get in this message tonight. First of all, last week, we launched our permanent Lake Norman campus. Another reason to give Jesus a big hand clap. Come on, let's just thank God. Another one of our rooms opened up at Freedom House, and uh, we had over 500 at our launch, and so fantastic. Uh, I, I tell you, one of the cool things was watching some of the people that I invited to come actually show up, and which was really cool for me because one of the guys I've been working on for about three or four months to come to church, and he kept saying, I'm not going to come, I'm not going to come, I'm not going to come, you know, I'm not going to come, I'm not going to come. And then I said, well, listen, we have this special thing that I want you to come to. Will you just come one time? And he said, all right, I'll just come once, but I'm not promising I'll come again. I'm just letting you know that. So don't put a lot of pressure on me to come back because I just I will come this one time. And so he came the one time, and then after the service, he was like, you know, this was pretty fun. I actually enjoyed this. I think I might even come back. So come on, Jesus works. And uh, so that's very exciting. The other thing I want to mention is next Friday and Saturday is our forward weekend. And I want to encourage you, if you've never been through one of our Ford Weekends, it's really our, um, I would say that it's an opportunity for you if you're dealing with anxiety, if you're dealing with things that haunt you from your past, if you're struggling in your marriage, uh, if you have uh, issues with, with money or uh, deal with internal insecurities, shame, guilt, any of those things, this is Freedom House's way to help you get delivered and really understand how the Holy Spirit wants to work through your life. It's two days. It's the best two days that you will spend in your entire year investing in yourself. And so I would encourage you to come. Uh, we have a lot of different communicators are going to be here over the two days. There's a lot of internal things, a lot of prayer, uh, a lot of time spent with God, other people, connections, uh, father wounds healed, mother wounds healed, past healed. And I promise you, if you'll dedicate two days of your life, you'll see a tremendous change in your life. And so, so if you haven't signed up, registered already, make sure you go to do that. And then the third thing I wanted to mention is this new series that we're starting next week. Very, very important series on stewardship. We're going to be talking about how to steward your finances. We haven't talked about this in a while. And we as a church never apologize for talking about money. Because we need to learn about money, and I think the best place to learn about it is in God's economy. Would you agree with that? So the Bible has a lot to say about finances, so we're going to get right into that next week. I'll be right here at this campus next week, and then we'll have people all over the other campuses, and it's going to be really good. But if you're in this area, invite somebody to come. If you're having financial problems, if you know somebody that has debt issues like that, just bring them, and we'll have a great time, all right? All right, get your Bibles out. Get your hands ready to write some notes down, and we're going to dig right in. Uh, we're going to look at this new this series. We're closing out this series called Dark Horse. We're talking about that person, that, that individual that comes from behind, that overcomer, 
That person who lives a life of overcoming. And I want to dig a little bit more into this principle, and then I have a real cool message that I want you to hear today. We're going to go all the way back to the book of Genesis. In the book of Genesis, God gives us a a designed way. You were created in a specific way. And he says this in verse 26, then God said, let us. Everybody say, let us. Now, when the Bible says us, he's talking about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So this trio, this trinity, was present at creation. They were all three, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Father, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit were all present. And it says, then God said, let us make man an hour. Everybody say hour. Notice again, he's talking, they're talking about all three of them in our image according to our, everybody say our, our likeness. And notice what he says, let them, everybody say them, have dominion. Now, who's he talking to? Who's the them? Us. He's talking about mankind, not just Adam and Eve. He's talking about all of us. In other words, we have been given the ability, we, we are created to rule. Now, I think this is extremely interesting because God doesn't take the dominion. He gives the dominion to mankind. He could have easily been the one who had dominion, right? He has all the power, but what he does is he shifts that authority over to you. And he says, you are meant to live with authority on this earth. In other words, you are an overcomer. Look at your neighbor. Say, you are an overcomer. Now, a lot of people doubt this because of the problems that they go through. A lot of people don't understand this. There's a lot of Christians that are going to be sitting in churches tonight and tomorrow all over the world that are sitting in a position of dominion still living defeated. You were not meant to live defeated. You were meant to live a conquering life. Not not an egotistical life. But a conquering life, meaning whatever the enemy, whatever the world, whatever is presented to you, you have been given dominion over. Everything. There's nothing that the enemy can present to you that you do not have dominion over. Notice what else he says. Now let's look at the New Testament. So that's the Old Testament. That's the book of Genesis. Book of Beginnings. Now let's look at the New Testament. 1 John 5, 4 and 5. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. Now if you're a Christian, if you're a believer then you have a disposition as a faith person to live as an overcomer. In other words, when you were born again, we were born twice. Remember, you were born from your mama. Amen. Amen. All of us got a mama. We love our mamas, right? Love our mamas. But you also have, you have been born again when you give your life to Jesus Christ, when you say yes to Jesus Christ. And as a result of that disposition, now you are entered into a family of overcomers. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. It's not, it's not your will. It's not uh, your great talent. It's not your education. That, that has nothing to do with your ability to overcome. Amen. Your intellect. No, no, no. Your faith. Faith in what? Well, let's keep reading. Who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. In other words, we are not alone. We are victorious through Jesus and our faith in him. So when we keep our faith in Jesus, we live as an overcomer. Now, here's what Jesus says at the end. So we went beginning. We went middle. Now let's look at the end. Revelation chapter 3, verse 21. There are seven letters 
that Jesus writes to seven different churches. In every letter, he ends with this statement. To him who overcomes. To him who overcomes. And then he gives basically a promise of endurance. He says, to him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. In other words, God promises you a rightful position as a son, daughter of God, and as an overcomer. Now, this is so important for us. This, I want this to drop from your head into your heart. Because the enemy would love to talk you out of your ability to overcome. He wants you to live defeated. He wants you to think, well, I'll never be able to get through. You fill in the blank. I'll never have a good marriage. I'll never have uh, my finances right. I'll never have. And he wants you to make those kind of declarative uh, declarations over your disposition, over your family. We will never get this way. We will always live in poverty. We will never, I'll never get another job. I'll never be promoted. I'll never get to this place because I'm not this. Well, here's the thing. It doesn't matter what you're not. It's all about who you are in Christ. Are you following what I'm talking about here? And so Jesus even tells us. Now, now, here, here's the thing. Let me give you the definition in the Greek word for overcome. It's the Greek word nikeo, nikeo. Uh, one translation is, is Nike, N-I-K-E. That's where Nike got the swoosh, victory. A victory, it means a champion, one who possesses superiority to win in dif- difficult circumstances. Now, when, when the Bible uses this word, it, has, it frames it in two parts. Two parts. First is an athletic victory. So when when you read in the scriptures where it says, to him who overcomes, there's two parts to that word. First is the athletic victory. Now, I I wouldn't consider myself an athlete, but I, I like to stay fit. I like to compete. I think I've told you this before. I hate to lose more than I like to win. Just played in the golf tournament this week. Won that bad boy. Come on, somebody. I kicked some Christian tail out there. So if you ever compete with me, you know, we're going to have fun and all that stuff, but I'm not coming to lose. I came to win. This guy recently uh, challenged me in some ping pong. I like to play ping pong. And he said, I'm going to beat you in ping pong. I said, okay. All right. When do you want to play? I'm fine with that. When When they talk smack, they better get ready to play. So he came over. I beat him eight times in a row just to let him know. There were a couple times I didn't let him get more than five points. I just beat him like a drum because I'm ready to go. Let's go. I didn't come here. So when, when you're an athlete, you don't go out there to get in second place. So you're, listen, listen. What an athlete does is he prepares himself for the victory. So he prepared, means that he is in training for whatever he's going to deal with. See, us as Christians, listen, you may not be facing right, anything right now because you are in training for your next challenge that the enemy is going to throw at you. And so that's what, it, that's what it means by having an athletic victory. When Jesus wrote to him who overcomes, he's talking about that person. Listen, you, you need to be in preparation. You need to be in training. Don't think that you can be in the middle of the challenge and get to know God. No, you get to know God so that you know him when you face the challenge. Well, I'm going to pray harder when I have an issue. No, no, no. Start praying hard now. 
The second part is a military victory. So when you see the word overcome, nikeo, it's athletic and also military. Military victories are strategic. In other words, not only am I going to prepare athletically, but I'm also going to be strategic in my actions. You have an enemy that is very strategic. He knows exactly where your weaknesses are. He knows what you're familiar with based on your past. And he's going to present to you what you are familiar with. It's called a familiar spirit. And he's going to continually pick at you. So he's strategic. So why don't you be strategic? Why don't you use your communication? In a military victory, the the person who is, is going to win has great communication. They have the position that they need to be in. They understand the field of battle. They're not going in there to tie. There's no draw. Like, they're not, they're not trying to, well, let's just see if we can, you know, kind of get. No, they're going in to demolish the enemy. And let me just tell you something. The enemy, the devil, is not just thinking about tying you. He wants to demolish you. Steal your character. Steal your family. Steal your marriage. Do everything he can to bring you down. And so understand, this is not some weak thing. But listen, the great thing is you are an overcomer. Look at your neighbor and say, I am an overcomer. Look at your other neighbor. Point at him. Just point him right in the face. Point him. You are an overcomer. Get all up in their grill. Now, overcoming is, you may want to write this down, a continuous and ongoing victory. In other words, it's not I will overcome. It's I am an overcomer. It's not one and done. This is not a message that you can use one time. No, this this is a a message that will fill you, a a word from God that you can live in. We are to live as overcomers. I'm preaching good tonight already. This is good stuff. I feel like I'm going to be an overcomer. Come on, somebody. So it's not like I'm going to deal with this and and deal with this. Now I'm going to talk about a specific type of overcoming or something to overcome. But I want you to catch this as a disposition, as a person, as a a believer. You are an overcomer. And sometimes you got to talk yourself into that. you got to confess that over your life. I I am an overcomer. I I am going to win. I am going to endure. I am going to make it through this. Maybe you need to write 1 John 5, 4 and 5 on your mirror when you get home to him who overcomes. I mean, maybe you need to write Revelation 3. Maybe you need to write Genesis 1, 26. So you can just just always remind yourself that you have been given victory through your faith in Jesus Christ. Through your faith. You can't will your way through it. It's a faith thing. So what I want to do is I want to talk about overcoming feeling overlooked. Overcoming feeling overlooked. When I was a kid, um, I had two stories that I wanted to share tonight, but I'll just share this one. When I was a kid, I dealt with this because I felt like I was overlooked by my father. And I had a shame-based life. In in other words, I, I would use performance in order to make myself feel good in front of you. And so... It was actually passed through my grandma. You know, she, she kind of would say things to me. But it started off, and I remember it very vividly when I was preparing for this. The Lord reminded me of one time I was sitting on my back porch, and this was in suburban apartments. This was back in years and years ago in Richmond, Virginia. And I was sitting on the back porch, and I was waiting for my dad to pick me up. 
had my bag. He told me he was going to pick me up. And this wasn't the first time that he had told me this. This was probably the fifth time that he had told me this. And, he had, and my dad had this Porsche 914. It was, a, it was like they called it a poor man's Porsche, but it was still a Porsche. And I thought it was the coolest car ever because I would tell all my friends, my dad drives a Porsche. My dad drives a Porsche. We didn't have any money. I'm like, my mom didn't even have a car. And my dad, I was like real excited about it. And so he told me, I'm going to pick you up on Friday. I'm going to take you for the weekend. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. We're going to do this. We're going to have so much fun together. And I sat on that back porch on Friday about 6 o'clock. He said he would be there. I got there about 5 o'clock, and I'm waiting because he might be early. Well, my dad never showed up. I sat out there, 6 o'clock came, 6.30, 7 o'clock, 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock. My mom finally came out there and said, Troy, your, your dad's not coming. And I said, but he told me he was going to come. And I said, he said, your dad's not going to come this time. I said, are you sure? Because did he call? No, he's not going to come. And that feeling is what we all go through. When we feel like we're being left out. We feel like we're left. We feel like we're just kind of put up on the shelf. We look around at what's happening in people's lives and we go, well, why are they getting married and I'm not? I mean, he got a girlfriend and I've been looking for one. She, she got a boyfriend and I'm way cuter than she is. <laughs> Don't lie, ladies. That's what you're thinking. I'm just telling the men, that's what you're thinking. I mean, they don't even go together. <laughs> that's what you're thinking. Don't be looking at me in that religious voice like you think that's not true. Because you know you say it. You may not say it out loud, but you're thinking it. Why did they buy it? Why did they get a house? And I've been, I've been, I got declined. She got the promotion and I didn't. He, he got that business and I, I, I mean, I've got the great idea. All of us find ourselves sitting on the curb, waiting, wondering why we were overlooked. Well, there's a guy in the Bible that dealt with this right off the bat. His name was David. King David. We know him as one of the greatest kings to have ever lived. He was, in my opinion, as you read the scriptures, I mean, he did it all. I mean, yeah, he messed up. He made some mistakes. We can focus on that, but we can also focus on what, what God said about him. In Acts chapter 13, he says that when he had removed him, talking about Saul, he raised up for them David as king, to whom he also gave this testimony and said, this is what God said about David. And I think all of us would love this kind of testimony when we walk into heaven. I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart who will do all my will. How did he get to this position? Because if you read the Bible, 1 Samuel chapter 16, it begins this story of David. We love 17, 1 Samuel 17, because that's the David Goliath. But he didn't show up on the battleground until he got through 16. He had to deal with 16 before he got to 17. And it's surprising that there was even a 17 because of what he had to go through in 16. All you got to do is read. That's your homework. Okay, that's your homework. Between now and next week, just read 1 Samuel 16, 1 Samuel 17. We'll give you a quiz, open book. You'll pass. I promise you'll pass. And so here's what happened. Saul has been given the kingship over Israel. He's the first king. The Israelites were not supposed to get a king. God wanted to be their king. 
He wanted to lead them and guide them, but they kept wanting a king because they saw all these other nations who had a king. And they were like, we want a king, we want a king. Be careful how much you complain to God because sometimes he'll give you what you want when you don't even need it. So they, he just gave it to them anyway and says, you're, you're not going to like it because the king's going to do this and he's going to make your kids serve him and he's going to be a tyrant. And it just went on down the list. Here's what's going to happen. But I'll give it to you anyway. I'll give it to you anyway. So Saul becomes the king and he messes up. He's insecure. He looks like a great king, but inside he's jacked up. I mean, he's got serious issues. Oprah, all those shows, he's on them. I mean, he's bad. It's like he has, his, he has his own show on OWN, all right? So it's bad. So anyway, here's what happens. Samuel, who's the prophet, ends up having to remove Saul out of the kingship. He basically goes to Saul and says, the, king's been ripped, the kingship has been ripped away from you. Now, Saul, Samuel, I want you to go and I want you to anoint a new king. Look what happens, verse, verse 1 of 1 Samuel chapter 16. Now, the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul? How long are you going to be whining about this guy? No, you think it's your fault, it's really his fault. Seeing I've rejected him from reigning over Israel. Fill your home with oil and go. I am sending you to Jesse. Everybody say Jesse. The Bethlehemite, for I have provided myself a king among his sons. Jesse had eight sons, eight different sons. And so Samuel goes, and Samuel's real nervous about it, y'all. He's really nervous because he knows if Saul finds out that he's going to anoint another king, that Saul will probably kill him. And so God gives him a plan. Just go. You're going to do a sacrifice. Just invite Jesse to the sacrifice and his sons. Make sure he gets all his sons, all his sons to come. Because one of them is going to be the next king. However, he doesn't bring all his sons. He leaves one sitting, David. He brings seven of his sons. Think about this for a second. A dad who thinks so little of one of his kids that he leaves him out in the field taking care of the sheep. And you know, that's sometimes how we feel. We feel like that with God. Like, man, look, I'm doing everything right. But I feel like I'm being overlooked. I feel like I'm not picked first. I feel like I'm picked last. I'm not even picked. I feel like I'm not even on the schedule. I've been set on the shelf. Nobody even, it just doesn't seem like anybody's paying attention to me. I got all these talents and all these skills. I mean, people tell me, I've even get, people have even, spoke a word over me and said, this is going to happen in your life, but it ain't happening. It's not going on. What, what is, what's going on? I'm just kind of left out here. Sometimes we even feel out here, like all by ourselves. And we don't even know. We, we, it's like we pray and we don't hear anything. We feel overlooked. How do you overcome that? How do we overcome that feeling of being overlooked? How do we overcome that? Let me give you a couple of thoughts that I think David learned as a result of this. The first is that you got to remember God has never forgotten you. Never forgotten you. He has never forgotten you. Matter of fact, here's what happens. Samuel goes through all the kids. He looks at the first one, Eliab, the oldest, the best looking, the most talented. 
shoulder above everybody else. He looks like the king. Matter of fact, Samuel even says kind of in his heart, this has got to be the one. And, and God says, he ain't the one. We tried the whole outside look with Saul. He ain't the one. And he says, God says to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. I want you to understand something. God sees your heart even if other people don't. Even if they don't recognize how good your heart is and the intentions of your heart. I want you to know that God sees it. Now, there's a two-edged sword to this, y'all, when it comes to God seeing your heart. He also, not only does he see the good, but he can also see the bad. He can also see the wicked intentions of our heart or the deceptive thoughts of our heart. And so we got to recognize this. we got to understand this, that when God sees our heart, it may be that you're in the shelf because he sees your heart. <laughs> Don't shout me down because I'm telling the truth right now. Hashtag truth. We may be on the shelf over there because we, need, we got art issues. It may not be talent issue, education issue, godly issue, Christian issue. Leadership issues, it may be a heart issue. And so he looked at all seven of these. And every one of them looked good on the outside, but there was something on the inside that was messed up. There was something going on on the inside that he needed to deal with, something bad. I think David wrote some stuff about this. Look at Psalms 17, verse 8. It says, keep me as the apple of your eye. In other words, God, I know you haven't forgotten me. Hide me under the shadow of your wings. I love Hebrews chapter 13. For he himself has said, this is what God says to us. Remember, God has not forgotten you. Has not forgotten you. Remember, for he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Here's the second thing, if you want to write this down, is you got to keep the sheep. Come on, look at your neighbor and say, keep the sheep. Now, what are you talking about? Okay, here, here's what happens. I don't know if you saw this in the verse. And Samuel said to Jesse, after he goes through all seven, are all these your young men here? And then he said, there remains yet the youngest, and there he is keeping the sheep. Now, check this out. Obviously, we got to understand that when Jesse says this to Samuel... He says, there he is. In other words, he's pointing over at where David is. So David is watching this whole thing go down. He's watching everything happen. He knew exactly what was going on. He knew when Samuel was coming because Samuel announced himself to come into the city. He called for Jesse. Jesse called his sons. All of them are there. And he says, okay, you guys, all you seven, you're going to come with me. But David, you go on out there and take care of the sheep. Well, why can't I go, Dad? Because that's your job out there. You just need to go take care of the sheep right now. You, you can't come with me this time. Imagine what that felt like. Yeah, but this is the most important time ever. I mean, Samuel the prophet is coming 
to our house. I mean, this is huge. Huge. Jesse wasn't poor. He could have had a servant go do that. He just didn't think that David was worthy enough to be in the house with the prophet Samuel. Imagine what that felt like for him. Isn't that sometimes what we go through? You guys come on over here and you just stay over there. You just stay over there. Just stay over there. Everybody's having fun over here, you know. Uh, uh, uh. And you got to stay over there. <laughs> Feel like you're missing out. Feel like you're overlooked. So what do you do? What do you do when you're overlooked? You got to keep the sheep. What was he doing? He was staying faithful where he was. This is so big, y'all. Because we get upset when things are going on, and so we jump ship before our faithfulness pays off. We get out of line. Come on, we've all done it. Standing in line at the grocery store, Walmart, right? Ain't moving. Look over there at that line. That line's moving. What do you do? You get out of line. And as soon as you get out of line, they close the lane down. And what do you have to do when you come back to the other line? You don't get, they don't, ain't nobody going to go, oh, just go ahead and get right back where you were. No, they're not nice in North Carolina. They say, go into the back of the line, brother. You got out of line. No buts. Get in the back of the line. And this is exactly why many of us are still on the shelf because we keep getting out of line. Looking at another line, thinking something's better over here. So we jump out. If things get a little rough at church, so you know what you do? You jump to another church. And you get right back out of line. And you wonder, why am I not in leadership? Well, because you keep getting out of line. If you would just keep the sheep, then you would stay in line, and the blessing would be there to him who overcomes. Are you following what I'm saying? you got to keep the sheep. Look at your neighbor say, keep the sheep. Keep the sheep. you got to keep the sheep. You just quit on it. Almost just tithe. You just keep tithing. You tithe, and nothing, nothing's going on. Why ain't you blessing me, God? So you just this doesn't work, and you are right on the edge of a blessing. You are right in the position that God has for you, and you jump out of line. David was faithful. He was faithful. So you have to stay faithful right where you are, right where you are. Stay faithful. In other words, the speed to which you enter your destiny is tied to the faithfulness of where you are right now. The speed to which you enter your destiny is tied to the faithfulness of where you are. So here's how I've lived my life. I might not be as smart as you. I might not be as talented as you. I might not be as gifted as you. I might not have grown up with the right things like you got. I may not have the resources to, 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 that you have, but I will outfaithful you any day of the week. And that's what you have to decide to do. I may not have grown up on the right side of the tracks. I might not be the right color. I might not be the right gender. I might not have the right money. I might have not have the right talent, but I will outfaithful anybody who stands in my way. I'll be faithful. Come on, you got to keep the sheep. I'm preaching good. Y'all ain't saying amen. That's all right. Don't get out of line. Don't, don't step out of line. Stay faithful right where you are. Stay faithful. Stay faithful. Stay faithful. My wife and I, we've been faithful. 17 years we've been faithful. 
People look at, they, they look at a church like this and they go, oh, I could do that. <laughs> Stay faithful where you are. Don't jump out of line. Stay faithful. Listen to me. Let me look at me for a second. I'm going to do something that's going to offend you. Guaranteed. Probably tonight. I've already offended you some way. I'm going to offend you. But can you stay faithful? Somebody's going to do something in this church that's going to make you upset. Guaranteed. Can you stay faithful? Because God promotes based on faithfulness. He does not promote based on how good of a Christian you are. Or whether you got your Christmas t-shirt on. Or whether you downloaded Kanye's new album or not. It doesn't make any difference. Be faithful where you are. Be faithful. Faithful. Come on, one more time. Look at your neighbor. Say, you got to keep the sheep. You got to keep the sheep. Now, here's, here's the last one. You got to hold tight to hope. You got to hold tight to hope. I think this is what carried David into chapter 17. Without overcoming, without overcoming the feeling and the, and, and the actuality of being overlooked by his dad, he would have never been able to face his giant. We all, we all have a giant to face, but there's an internal struggle inside we've got to overcome first. For, for David, this was the lion and the bear before the Goliath. This was his. You've got to hold on to hope. What is hope? Hope is the confident. I wrote this down. Hope is the absolute expectation of coming good. That's what hope is. It's the absolute expectation that good is coming around the corner. When it feels bad, when it looks bad, when, it, when, when, when it's cloudy and, and, and depressive and oppressive, when, when it, things aren't going right, when it, everybody seems to be against you, you got to hold on to hope. That's why David wrote this. He said, for you are my hope. Write this down, write this down. Hope's greatest enemy is outcome. Hope's greatest enemy is outcome. Why? Because if you focus, if I focus on an outcome, I will lose hope if it never happens. But can you keep your hope when it doesn't happen? Viktor Frankl wrote a, a, an incredible book. He did a study in Auschwitz where he studied people who died in concentration camps from the Nazis. And the reason they died is because they lost hope. They lost hope because they kept saying, we're going to get out by Easter. We're going to get out by December. We're going to get out by this particular date. And they put an outcome out there. And this is where we can mess up. Because the outcome may not be what God wants to do. And so you have to have hope regardless of what the outcome. Now that doesn't mean you can't have a destination. But don't put all your hope in the destination. Put it hope in the one who can make the destination whatever it is. That's why David didn't say winning my victory is my hope. He said God you are my hope. You are good, oh Lord. You are my trust from my youth. I think, this is, I think he got this when he was sitting out there watching his, his brothers 
go through the line. And Samuel was looking at him, and he had this big horn of oil, and he knew exactly what was going on at that moment. He's watching it all go down, and he's sitting out there, and he goes, man, I still hope in you, God. My dad doesn't even love me enough to let me invite me to the house when the main guy shows up. But I know, God, you love me. I know you care for me. It feels like I'm on the shelf, but God, I know you got something better for me. So I'm going to stay faithful where I am. I'm going to keep pressing through, God. I'm going to keep praying, and I'm going to keep believing, and I'm going to stick right here, and I'm going to keep pushing hard, and I'm going to keep trying, and I'm going to keep doing better and keep making myself better, and I'm going to keep reading the Bible, and and I'm going to keep digging in, and I'm going to keep lifting my hands during worship even when I don't feel like I want to lift my hands. I'm going to still keep praising God when it doesn't feel like I want to praise God. I'm going to keep making friends and reaching people and evangelism, evangelizing. I'm going to keep coming to church when it doesn't feel like I want to come to church. I'm going to, because you are my hope, God. You are my hope. You are my hope, oh Lord. You are my trust from my youth. But you have, by you, I have been upheld from birth you are he who took me out of my mother's womb my praise shall be continually of you and when you do this this is what happens here's what happens listen then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers (laughs) that's awesome so he brought him right back he said David just come on over here brother where's he at come on over bring him over here put him right in the middle of the whole family and anointed him he said doesn't matter what Jesse you think about your son doesn't matter what your seven brothers think of your son because God believes that he's going to be the greatest king to ever live and right in the midst of his brothers and the spirit of the Lord notice what he says here and I want you to catch that then I'm done And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. Meaning that he walked in the Spirit from that day forward. No other Old Testament person has this testimony. Every other Old Testament person says the the Spirit of the Lord came upon them and then lifted off of them. Why? Because David is the type of Christ. Overlooked undervalued the one who in hope gave hope to you and me listen to me listen to me Jesus died not just for the ones who believed in him but he died for the ones who refused him how much more can we put our hope in that kind of God Let's stand on our feet. You are an overcomer. You are an overcomer. Look at your neighbor one more time and say, I am an overcomer. Close your eyes and if you can, just lift your hands to heaven and say, I am an overcomer. God, you'll never forget me. Come on, say it. Say it. God, you'll never forget me. I'm going to stay faithful. Hold on to hope. In Jesus' name. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're in this place and maybe you're in a position where you feel like you've been overlooked. Overlooked in ministry. Overlooked in relationships. Overlooked in your job. Overlooked with finances. I, I don't know. I mean, I, we all. You, 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 you feel like you've been sitting on the back porch waiting for your dad to show up and he never showed up. 
listen, God's in this place right now. And you can grab hold of that hope. That no matter what, God, I got you. I'm going to hold on to you. I'm going to hold on to you, God. I'm not going to hope in destinations. I'm going to hope in you. I'm going to put my hope in you. I'm going to put my hope in you. If you need just the Spirit of God to come upon you tonight, just a fresh touch of knowing that you're remembered in heaven, would you just lift your hand up? Maybe you just need a touch of God's presence tonight just to be reminded of your faithfulness. For some of us, maybe we need to step back into line. Come on, if that's that's you, just lift your hand up. Just keep it up. Maybe you've let go of hope. Hope for your marriage. Hope for your future. Hope in God. Just, Just put your hand up. Father, thank you for every person here in this place. God, I pray that you would touch them, that you would fill them, that you would show them your love, that you would show up and just remind them, God, just with a small, slight touch today, that still, small voice, speak to us in this place, God, that we would know beyond a shadow of a doubt that, God, you're carrying us, that you you have us in the palm of your hand, God, that you love us. You care for us. You have a hope and a future. Peace, not evil for us, God. No matter what we see around us, no matter the turmoil, the tribulation, the challenges all around us, God, but we know that you are in the middle of it all, God, and we trust in you, Jesus. That even in the moments where we refuse you, God, you still love us. Push you away, you still come and wrap your arms around us. God, we love you so much. Just say this with me, everybody in the room. Just say, Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your Son. Jesus, my hope, my future, my Savior, my Lord, lead me, speak to me, fill me with your presence, O God. In Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, give God a big hand of praise.